I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagomatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks, inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. How y'all doing tonight? Yes. I think, I think we may just continue this series for as long as I want so I can keep watching that to start every night. It's awesome. Now let me begin tonight, continuing this series about seeking God, let me begin by asking you a question. What is it that you expect from God? What do you expect from God? Now we're going to keep coming back to this, the, the idea of expectation throughout the entire night, but now let me ask you another question that has nothing to do with that one, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, how many of you have ever been on a bad first date? Can we... Why, why, wait, if you're laughing, that means it's fresh, all right? So it's okay. We can, we can confess for a second. Show your hands again. How many have been on a bad first date? Bad first date, all right. Now, now here's the thing I know about bad first dates. Uh, I've been on them too. They're awful. And just in case you're wondering, if you've ever been on only one date with somebody in this room and you didn't go on a second one, um, don't wonder why she didn't call, okay? Just, just listen up tonight, okay? It was not a good date. Things didn't go well. Here's how I know that bad first dates are awful. They can scar you or they can teach you, okay? You can just learn from them. My freshman year in college, uh, I, uh, I went on a bad first date. Uh, it was with this girl named Amy, and I was working uh, kind of the summer job I had uh, doing delivery for the school system, so I was taking books and, and po- uh, packages and boxes and stuff to the different schools, and in one of the schools that I went to, uh, there was one of the secretaries that worked there through the summer. She was really nice. Liked getting to know her. She was cool. The guy that I, like, rode with who drove the trucks was friends with her. And uh, there was something I really liked about going to her office specifically for. It was a picture behind her desk of her daughter. And I was like, hey, who's that blonde? Now, I said that to myself. I didn't say that out loud because I don't want to get slapped, all right? But eventually... I got up the courage to ask her. I was like, so you have a daughter that, you know, looks to be my age. She is, what's, so what's she like? And she was very, uh, she was very flattering about her daughter. And she said very good things. She made her sound incredible, of course, because it's her freaking mom. And so I knew, I knew one thing. 
her daughter's hot, and I just, I'm curious to know if she's cool as well. So eventually, I got up the courage to say, hey, um, did your daughter ever come around? <laughs> like, this is so lame. Can we just call it what it is? This is lame, and yet this is the game that I had when I was 18. So um, there's hope, men. All right, there's hope. And she actually played matchmaker mom and said, oh, you here, get, let me give you her number. And so through her mom, I got her number. Man, that should have been the first, like, red flag. But I kept going. So I called her. We set up a date, talked to her on the phone. She sounded cool enough. We set up a date, went on the first date. And you know what happened? I found out she was super weird. Like, like, like Jessica Day and New Girl weird. Just weird, weird. You know, just strange, okay? Really hot, really strange. So that, that's, what I, that's what happened. You want to know what didn't happen? A second date. I'll tell you right now, I didn't go on a second date. Now, why didn't I go on a second date? Why didn't that happen? Why do, first, why do bad first dates happen? Because expectations are unmet. Because you're disappointed. Because something didn't go the way you were hoping and you were planned. And see, if you want the definition of disappointment, it's this. Unmet expectations. Unmet expectations are the definition of disappointment, and the most expectations that are unmet are those that are unspoken. That's marriage advice for one day that you can start practicing now. See, the expectation that I had about this girl wasn't met, and uh, it let me, led me to a lot of disappointment. Now, let me ask the exact same question I started the night with. What do you expect from God? What do you expect? Think about it. What is it that you expect from God. That's going to be the, the theme, the banner, the question that's going to drive the conversation tonight. Not bad first dates. What do you expect from God? See, as we talk about seeking God, the idea of, of pursuing a relationship with him, of finding an intimate a connection with him, of, of learning who you are from him. As we talk about seeking him, your expectations through seeking him really matter. They're vitally important. In the exact same way that the expectations you have going into relationship are important, or going into anything are important. The expectations that you have about God as you seek him matter. Do you think that when you pray, do you expect him to answer? When you read his word, do you expect him to show up? When things go wrong, do you expect him to comfort you? Or maybe for some of you in this room tonight, it's that you expect him to leave because everyone that you've ever loved is left. Or do you expect him to be angry at you? Or maybe you expect him to be disappointed in the lifestyle that you're living and things that you're doing. See, the expectation that you have of God matters in how you seek him. So what is it that you expect from God? Now, if we get really honest about my horrible first date, uh, it had a lot more to do with me than it did with her. Because I found exactly what I was looking for. I was a dumb 18-year-old boy that went to her mom to get her, like, come on. The only thing I cared about was that I thought she was attractive. And that's exactly what I found. She was only that. Now, see, a lot of times the, the expectation you have when you go into something is going to set up what it is that you experience within it as well. And there is a commercial that displays this perfectly. Right? I found basically the exact, the exact thing I was looking for. I just... I was just looking for someone that I thought was attractive to go and have lunch with. I didn't really expect it to go any further than that, and so it didn't. But this commercial shows what happens whenever you see something, the awareness of what you're watching, 
and the expectation that you have about it. I'm going to let it play. And listen, if you've seen it before, just shut your face, okay? Don't give it away. Don't, don't be that person. Don't give it away, all right? You're the, that's why you don't go on a second date. It's because you give stuff away, okay? So if you've seen it before, now you're like, oh, that's why. Yes, that, yes. So if you've seen this before, just don't say anything. But this is an awareness test. Take a look. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? How many of y'all seen that before? Yeah, how many of you never seen that before? I heard someone in the back, you're like, what? A bear? Right. It's hard to see something you're not looking for. That's the point of this. But I would say that there's actually a truth driven even further in this video that was actually talked about about a month ago at our night of worship. And there's a reason why I'm showing this again. And I think the truth of this video is this. You will find what you look for. You will find what you look for. You will find what you look for. So, how many of you have seen that video before? Okay. Of those with your hands raised, you've seen it before. How many of you knew the bear was coming? You, you knew to look for it. You knew what to look for. So, you find what you look for. If you'd seen that before, then you knew the bear was coming, and so you expected it to show up. But in your life, if you've seen God move before, you know he's going to move again, and you expect him to move in your life. You will find what you look for. And what you look for shapes your expectations. And the expectation with which you have about how you seek God, how you approach God, what is it that you expect from God actually matters. Have you ever seen a move in your life before? If you have then now you have something to base your life on of knowing he's going to show up. He's going to be there. He's going to come through. He's not going to disappoint. But maybe some of you have never experienced that. And so I'm going to challenge it on what it is that you're actually looking for. And we're going to see how the expectation that you have about God showing up will matter in your life through the story of Israel and through a specific guy named Joshua and a specific story called the Battle of Jericho. How many of you ever heard of Jericho? You sang the story when you were a little baby child, right? Okay. Well, you're not anymore, and we're going to talk about the actual one, all right? So what we're going to do is going to be up on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible if you want. It's Joshua chapter 6. There's a Bible under your chair if you need it. We're going to read from a little different version, but it's Joshua chapter 6. And while you turn there or click there on your phone, whatever, let me give you a little backstory. So the nation of Israel was enslaved for 400 years. That is not fun. That's just what it is, zero fun. And out of the slavery, God sent Moses to go get his people and bring them into the promised land, the land that God had promised them generations before to this guy named Abraham. And so God gets them out of slavery and is going to lead them to the promised land. And you know where they went? 
straight into the wilderness for 40 years, not the promised land. But coming out of that season of the wilderness, they had fully prepared themselves to get to the promised land. And this guy named Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, he dies. And when Moses dies, the next guy up who takes his place and leads the nation, his name's Joshua. And so Israel has a history of seeing God show up. They were enslaved for 400 years, and then God parted the Red Sea, did all these terrible things to Egypt because they were against him. The Passover happened. They've seen God show up, so they know he's going to. They expect it. Let's watch what happens when that actually occurs. Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read. You follow along. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. So see, they, they escaped the wilderness, they crossed the Jordan River, and now they're all outside. They're camped outside the city of Jericho. And so if you're inside Jericho, and then you look out, and you see hundreds of thousands of people camped outside your city, you're going to freak out a little bit. I'm probably going to stay indoors. And that's what they chose to do. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, the ark of the covenant where the spirit of God is. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, which is a weird name to have in terms of a father, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of seven horns, of ram's horns, before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded his people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall a word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. And so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp, and spent the night in camp. Now, let's just picture what's happening with the Israelites, okay? Joshua's like, all right, guys, hey, we're all, you know, hey, there's Jericho. We're just going to hang out. We're going to go take it. And they're waiting on their commander to tell them what to do. And you know what he tells them to do? Listen, we need laps, okay? Like, we went through the wilderness for 40 years. You know how whenever you do something wrong in sports, they make you run laps? Joshua's like, listen, Y'all sucked for a while. You disobeyed God. We went to the wilderness for 40 years. It should have taken us four days. You realize how long you made me live in the sand? Time to start walking. So they just start walking around the city. Like, y'all are looking at me right now, and if you're listening on the podcast, I'm literally walking around the room. Because y'all are looking at me right now like, what the? This is freaking weird. No, I don't have on a Fitbit. I'm not trying to get steps today, okay? They're just walking around the city, not saying a thing. See, y'all thought I was going to walk around not saying anything. That'd be weird. That'd be weird. They're just walking around Jericho, just taking a leisurely, leisurely stroll, 
one time, and then they go back to their camp, sing Kumbaya and go to sleep. Like, it's a weird day, okay? It's a strange day in the, in the land of Israel. But let's keep going, verse 12. Now that you got the picture. Then Joshua, then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took, uh, took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. I just read that. Guess what? It's happening again. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. And so they did this for six days. Like, that's a long time, all right? By the fourth day, you know they got to be like, what? Like, has Joshua lost his mind in the wilderness? Uh, we, got, we got weapons. We're ready. We got 100,000 men. What are they? Can we not storm this place yet? Let's Lord of the Rings this thing. Let's just go up and get it. Listen, I'll slay the dragon. Okay, we'll take Jericho. It'll work. But for six days, all they did was walk silently around the city. And what you don't know that I didn't tell you in the story, maybe hopefully some of you do know, is that when they crossed the Jordan, the very first city that was in their way was Jericho. Israel would have never gotten to the promised land if they didn't first get Jericho. They strategically had to get that one first before any of the other cities fell and they got the land. And so for six days, they walk around this city in dead silence. All the men in their armor doing nothing but walking. Now, let's pick up verse 15. On the seventh day, on the seventh day, they rose early. They didn't rest. Jesus, why are you confusing us? At the dawn of the day, and then they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. So they did one time the first six. The seventh day they do seven times. It was only on that day that, that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time walking around, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she helped them get in and see it. She was on their side. But you, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. He's saying this, like, shout! Hang on, let me tell you all this stuff first. Okay, now we're going to shout again. Verse 20, so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Can we just agree this is bananas? So, so let me get this right. We're all going to walk around the city, and then we're just going to scream, and then the walls are going to, like, is there going to be, like, an earthquake coming along? Are the eagles going to come out of the sky? Like, what's, how is this going to happen? And this is what I think every one of those Israelites would tell you. We don't know how God's going to do it, but we expect him to do it. 
because we've seen what he's done for us. He's shown up every chance we needed. He killed all the firstborn in Egypt, but left all of our firstborn alive because we followed his instruction and painted our doorposts with the blood of a perfect lamb. That's called the Passover, and it's a picture of the sacrificial level which Jesus is going to give to us. See, they'd seen God show up before. And their seeing God show up before led to their believing that he would show up. And their believing that he would show up led to their expecting that he would show up in their life. And so if seeing is believing, then believing is expecting. They expected God to show up. So what has God done in your life that would cause you to believe that he's going to show up? What are the stories you have where you've seen God move and because of that you can expect him to be there again? You can expect his character to be consistent. Now when I ask that, I would imagine there's some of you in this room that would say, you know what? God's never shown up. I've actually never seen God's hand move in my life. Because it didn't work out well. And he didn't show up recently when I didn't get in that school, when I didn't get that interview, or when he left me, or when it didn't work out with her. And see, what I would tell you is, I'm going to press in real hard, and I want you to come with me. You will find what you look for. See, you see all those things as being incredibly disappointed because your expectations are being unmet. But are your expectations for God to show up and give you everything you want? Or are your expectations for God to show up and give you everything he wants? You will find what you look for. So when you think of God, do you think of him as being absent or vindictive or against you? Or do you think of God as being for your best? What if he doesn't want you to be with him? What if he doesn't want you to go to that school? What if, not that he causes this, but what if he's actually going to allow your parents to get divorced or your friend to get sick or that family member to die? Does that mean that all of a sudden now God's bad and so my expectation is that he's going to be bad? No, because our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects all of our circumstances. See, when you expect God to show up, it's because you believe that his character is consistent, that he's constant, and that he's good. You know that God is for you, not against you. You know that he loves you even if no one else does. And even if he hasn't shown up in the way that you want him to show up, you have an entire book dedicated to God showing up. And if God shows up in all these people across these thousands of years, guess what? He's still showing up today. But what do you expect from God? Do you expect him to give you everything you want? Or do you expect him to give you everything he wants? You see, the moment, and this is what I had to learn, the moment you believe that God loves you and he's for you, that becomes a filter with which you view everything that happens in your life. I expect God to show up in my life. I expect God to provide. I expect God to take care of me. I expect to encounter God every time I come in this place on Thursday night. 
I expect those things because I've seen him show up before and I know his character. I've learned of his love. And if I'm not remembering from my story, I'm seeing from other stories or from this story. And so I view everything that happens to me through the filter of God's kindness, through the filter of God's goodness. Now, is this easy to do? No. Does this require you to grow? Yeah. Does it mean that you get to avert your pain? By no means. But just because bad things happen doesn't mean that God is bad. So I've shared the story before. I can view the fact that I thought my wife was going to die and then thought my daughter was going to die within six months. I can view that through the filter of God's kindness and his goodness and his love. And even if it's not what I want, if it's happening, it's because it's what he wants. So I can trust him. So I expect him to show up. Now, I expected God, and this is the turn, I expected God to show up and save my wife and not let her die last year. I expected that from him. And out of his kindness and his blessing, he did it. But even if he didn't, he'd still be good. Because see, about four weeks before that happened, I expected God to show up and to allow the baby that was in my wife's womb to grow and to live. But it didn't. We had a miscarriage. And it never affected God's goodness. See, my faith in what God has done allows me to view him through the filter, so I expect him to show up. Now, here's the catch. I expect him to show up. That doesn't mean I know how he's going to show up. Israel knew, we got to walk around this city. I'm not doing it again. Calm down. We got to walk around this thing. Joshua's telling us to go, and God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, God tells him exactly what he's going to do. And then he commands him at the beginning of chapter 6 what to do. And so they knew, we got to walk around this city if we're going to follow God. We don't know how God's going to do this. God said he's going to let the wall fall. That doesn't make any freaking sense, but it's okay. We're going to keep going anyways, expecting that he's going to show up. You would not walk around that city for six days unless you expected God to show up. And they expected God to show up because they believed he would show up because he had always shown up before. So in your life, where has God shown up? What's the filter with which you view everything happening in your world? Because, see, if you don't expect God to show up in his way, then you're always going to be disappointed. Because you'll find what you look for. So I look for God's kindness in everything. And you know what? I find it. Now, I told you I had a, had a horrible first date. So bad. Never talked to her again. But four years later, I had another first date. And it was not bad. It was in Costa Rica. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. Well, buckle up. It was in Costa Rica. It was at a place called the Treehouse had pizza. I don't know why you'd have pizza in Costa Rica at a treehouse, but it was some undercooked pizza that was cheap, so we went there. Yes, undercooked. Um, So we went there, and it was a great first date, and it was with someone that I'd spent a month getting to know and learning that I liked this girl. I liked being around her. She made me laugh. She laughed at my jokes. I hope it's not li- I hope it's not fake because that would make me feel bad, but I don't think it is. I'm going to keep pursuing and see if she actually does think I'm funny. I feel myself around this girl. 
she's my friend. I want to get to know her more. And so we went on a first date. And now, yes, I found her highly attractive, but it didn't matter on that date. Here's why. I got a picture of it. Yep, that's the clothes we wore on the first date. See, right before this date, we went ziplining through the cloud forest in Costa Rica, and all the oil and dirt from the line just covered us. So she was genius and wore a white shirt that that's not getting out of it. And that shirt I have uh, became part of the bed of my dog because I wasn't going to wear it again. We were covered in mud and soot and oil and dirt. And guess what? It's the best first date I've ever had. It didn't, don't listen. You time out. This is not the notebook. Slow down, all right? It was the best first date I ever had because what I was expecting to find was a best friend. And I did. See, I I had changed what I was looking for. What I was looking for when I was 18 was just somebody that I thought was attractive. Somebody I could go stare at while I stuff food in my face. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what I did at 18. And I grew up a little bit, thank God. And at 22, sat there thinking, I want to get to know her. And I did. And you know what? I found what I was looking for because you find what you look for. I found a best friend, and then she exceeded my expectations and one day became my wife. See, disappointment, the definition of it is unmet expectations, not exceeded expectations. It's when your expectations are unmet. So if you seek God, if you search him out and you try to find him in his love, then you get to hold on to the promise that he tells us in James 4.8. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. It's a promise to us. If you seek him, you will find him. Whoever knocks on the door, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to invite him in. We're going to sit across the table, and he will dine with me. That's Revelation 3.20. And see, whenever you know God's showing up, and you seek him in that vein, and you want to find his love, he's going to show it to you. And then when he does, now you have a past you can look back to to believe he's going to do it again and expect him to show up next time. And then after he does this over and over and over, because he always does, he never fails. And when he continues to do it, now you start to develop something called faith. And the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1 is this. Now faith is the assurance of the things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The certainty of things not seen. I don't need to see God show up in my life anymore. I still expect him to show up. My faith carries me through every season, and it can for you too. But the primary question you got to answer for yourself is this. What do you expect from God? When you seek him, do you actually expect him to show up? When you read the Bible, do you actually expect him to encounter you? When you pray, do you actually expect him to answer and to listen, to hear what you're saying? When you're crying and hurting, do you actually expect him to comfort you? Because you find what you look for. The expectations that you have in your life are going to lead you somewhere. And the expectations that you have about God are going to lead you into how you seek him. If you choose to view God without that filter of his kindness and his goodness, then you're going to completely miss the fact that he is for you, that he loves you, That no matter how many people have left you, he will never leave you. And you can fully 
become vulnerable within him because he's going to show you who you are and it's going to be the final time that you fully unlock the reality of your identity. So what do you expect from him? Do you come into this place expectant to experience him, to encounter him, to hear from him? Because if you come in here thinking you're just going to have a fun social club, guess what? That's what you're going to have. And you're going to miss everything of why we're here. But if you come into this place expecting to hear from God, guess what? He's going to speak to you. And it may not always be, it may not always be how you think. But just because you don't know how God's going to show up doesn't mean that you don't expect him to show up. And so in worship, when we get into times of worship, Will and and Jacob and them just sat up here and led us. When we go into that, are you just singing songs? Like, is this a concert to you? Is it a performance that they're doing a good job acoustically in? Or is this your opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit, to declare the words that you love him, and to actually experience his presence in this room? See, every single time we go into worship, it doesn't have to be a night of worship. Nights of worship are great. They're incredible. We experience the Holy Spirit in a crazy way. Why does it only have to be? Um, what did I say wrong? <sighs> ben, no. But I want you to think about that. Do you, is the only possible time that you can ever encounter God at a night of worship or some special night or some incredible occasion? Or do you come into this place the expectation of finding him every single time? Because he's always here. So my challenge to you is to change the trajectory of your heart, to change the banner, the answer of that question in your heart. What do you expect from God? Do you expect him to show up or do you expect him to leave? Do you expect him to be absent or do you expect him to talk? Because when he shows up, it may not look how you think it should. It doesn't change the fact that you can still expect him to show up because he will. I would say that if you would make the view of God your new expectation, that he loves you, that he's for you, and that he'll never leave you, and that he'll meet you when you draw near to him, if you would make that your expectation, he'll exceed them. Because you're going to find what you look for. Let me pray for you all. So, Father, I, uh, I expect you in the next few moments to speak. I expect you in the next few moments to have your way. And I expect you in the next few moments uh, to sit with us. And to allow us to encounter your presence, your Holy Spirit. So in the name of Jesus, I ask that those things would happen, that those things would come, and that you would allow every person in this place to develop a faith that allows them to look at the things that they can't even see and know that they are real. So would you allow us to see your movement? Would you allow people for the first time tonight to encounter and experience what it is uh, to be in your presence, for you to show up, for you to answer prayers for you to heal people where they're sick, for you to provide answers and clarity in their life, for you to give them purpose. God, would you allow that to happen tonight, even if for the first time, so that they could begin to see the things that you have done in their life and then believe that you will always show up, you'll come again around the next time, and then begin to expect you to do it every time. Because, Father, whenever we expect you to show up, we're going to find you. Because I know that you will find what you look for. 
So may the thing that we look for in our lives, both tonight and moving forward, may it be you. May we seek you. May we find you. And may we grow more in love with you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to build your expectations up. To right now, right-size where your heart is and actually have an expectation to encounter the Holy Spirit. We're going to go back into worship just like we did before. And in the next few moments of worship, it's an opportunity for you to say, all right, God, what is it that you want to tell me? What is it that you want me to experience? How is it that you want me to find you? What is it that you want me to think about you? For some of you, maybe it's going to be an emotional encounter. You're going to be overwhelmed with your emotions, feeling the fact that God's in the room, maybe for the first time. For some of you, it's going to be an intellectual and mind encounter. You're going to think something different about the character of God, and it's going to unlock something within you to freely worship. For some of you, you might not feel anything. You might not think anything, but your expectation doesn't change. You ask God to show up, and he will. You may not know how he does, but you expect that he will. So we're going to jump back into worship. Y'all can stand to join. Go around the room wherever you want. There's freedom. But we're going to worship God with the full expectation that he's here. Let's go.